Hello, hello, welcome back to Loki's Librarian. If you are new here, welcome. I am your librarian, Katrina. This is where I'm reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and I tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like, share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. So I had initially planned on reviewing the president book this week, which would be President Garfield. But due to Christmas being next Sunday, and I didn't get a review up last week because of required home improvement project, we had to install a new washer-dryer, rewire part of the house, no big deal. But it kind of put a hiccup in my whole reading plans. So we're moving President Garfield out to next month and doing last week's book of the week this week, which makes this week's book of the week, Pandemia. How Coronavirus Hysteria Took Over Our Government Rights and Lives by Alex Berenson. In honor of how completely the last two years have been, the accompanying cocktail is called Power, Corruption, and Lies. Really appropriate. It's uh, one and a half ounces of cognac, a three-quarter ounce Aperol, a half ounce of Falernum, a half ounce of lime juice, and a pinch of salt. So let's do this. So Alex Berenson hit my radar as the first because he was the first person to get a permanent Twitter ban overturned pre-Elon Musk by the courts. Not interesting. The courts actually stepped in. He was able to sue Twitter and get himself reinstated. And there's a whole lot that goes into that. It's not discussed in this book because that case was still ongoing when this book released. But uh, it hit my radar, heard about it on Joe Rogan. And so, yeah, he got his Twitter ban overturned. And I thought, well, that's, that's damn interesting. Let's go look this guy up. And I saw that his newest book was Pandemia. Really? There it goes. Like, I know this has been open before. And so I bought it, and there it sat on my shelf until I had spot in my reading schedule to read it. What did I say? One and a half ounces. Uh, this book does an excellent job reconstructing how the pandemic rolled out. I mean, it literally lockstep's with everything I remember about the last two years, and that's including, you know, my alcohol induced phase from. Or fuzziness because of the cocktails that I mixed for the books that I review for you guys. But seriously, it completely jives with everything I remember. The panic, how everybody was freaking out about it, um, how a good chunk of the population, myself included, were like to the government because we don't trust the government. Weird. Why wouldn't we trust them? I don't know. Maybe because they've been intentionally sowing discord among we the people for decades at this point. Maybe Aperol first. So anyways, he starts how it, he, he does, he reconstructs everything from the pandemic. It's earliest appearance in China until the book released in 2021. So it doesn't include anything from the last year. So there's no updates there, but here's what is in the book. He, he does cover how it starts in China, how the corporate press absolutely demonized Trump for his attempt to ban travel to China as racist. It wasn't. He was literally trying to do the right thing. Now, I'm not a Trump fan. I think, I, I hope I've established that fact. But he was genuinely trying to do what would have been best for America. Um, however, Berenson explains how even if the press hadn't vilified Trump on this point, the travel ban would have been ineffective because it had already left China by the time the, the ban was proposed. Three quarter ounces, three quarter ounces, close enough. So he goes over the pandemics from the last 100 years. So we got the 1919 Spanish flu, Hong Kong flu, 69 swine flu, bird flu, and how we failed to learn the lessons from the past in all of those instances and why that matters. Um, I mean, basically everything the government tried to do had been tried in the past and always failed because a virus is a virus. It's going to run its course, all right? 
you really can't defeat something you can't see. All you can do is sit back and ride it out and hope that you're a survivor. Which the good news is the vast majority of people who contracted coronavirus did survive. He covers Interesting life, he brings up the HIV epidemic of the 80s and 90s. And I was a little surprised by that because I wasn't quite sure what the parallel was between a bloodborne pathogen and an airborne pathogen. But he gets there. It, in that chapter, even it's not like he drags it out and goes, hey, remember way back when? He covers, I mean, each chapter is a standalone point that he's making, which is fabulous. Um, the point he was making is that HIV, when it was first discovered, had a 95% fatality rate. I, I mean, it was as near a guaranteed death sentence as one could get when diagnosed. I mean, there, there was no going back from HIV once you had contracted it. And the point he was making is the press tried very hard to spin coronavirus as another HIV, but airborne. And that's terrifying, right? I mean, something with a 95% fatality rate being airborne, that is the Captain Trips that Stephen King wrote about in The Stand. That book is such a letdown. It still is. And the guy actually, like, literally involves God in saving the world. I mean, how lazy can you get as a writer? Um, sorry. Sorry, that was a tangent. Fine. So, SARS-CoV-2, not nearly as fatal. It is fatal, don't get me wrong. Nobody's ever saying that it wasn't. Um... But the media tried to drive this fear and all the corruption, the lack of freedom, the division in the country over the following months. It was never that fatal. But the government still used that information to drive wedges between all of us, create an us versus them mentality, which is a very dangerous road towards fascism, which if you're following the Twitter files, you know just how close we are to fascism now. Literally doesn't matter who's in power. Could be left, could be right. It's all fascist. I'm going off a tangent again, aren't I? And there's ample evidence that the government knew that this was not nearly as fatal as they were letting on. Oh, a pinch of salt. That's probably more than a pinch, but we're going to let that slide. So again, nobody's saying the virus didn't kill. It did, and it does. All right, there, there's ample evidence to support that as well, and nobody ever claimed otherwise. What Berenson and those of the rest of us who refused to panic said is that this is not as fatal as the government wants you to think it is. And so why are we all panicking like this? But those who are going to panic, I mean, state is going to state, right? That's all they're going to do is they're going to freak out and let the government do their thinking for them. And um, the government has the power, so the rest of us just had to kind of go along for the ride. <sighs> and those of us who failed to panic when the government told us to had a variety of reasons for keeping our cool. I mean, some people are just naturally fatalists. I mean... Everybody dies, so why get worked up about this when it's when it's your time to go? It's your time to go, right? I mean, if you're destined to die by hitting, being hit by a crosstown bus, never leaving your house isn't going to stop that. The bus is just going to drive through your living room wall. I mean, that's just kind of a fatalist view. But there was plenty of people who had that thought. Um, there are those of us who didn't trust the government because, you know, we read. And we read history. And so we're aware that the biggest murderer of people anywhere is the government, like bar none. Democide is the biggest cause of death on the planet. Da, da, da. Knowledge of history breeds distrust in the government. Berenson approached it from a literally scientific perspective. All right, I mean, I'm pretty sure there was mistrust of the government in there too because he's a journalist. He's literally paid to take everything at uh, with a grain of salt and to do his own research. That's his job. And apparently he's the only journalist who's actually been doing it over the last two years. 
But he actually, instead of just railing about the loss of freedom and how the government doesn't have the right to do this, he, he took it from a scientific perspective and uh, actually said, here's why the government should 100% not be doing this and has nothing to do with the Constitution. It has to do with the science. And I know, I know. Trust the science is a gross phrase that has been misused over the last two years, and it's basically lost all meaning, right? But hear, hear me out here. So like, bear with me, all right? Berenson, Berenson literally read every scientific piece that came out and then reported that information on Twitter with citations. Like, he would link to government organizations and, uh, like, medical journals. Everything that was reported, that he reported on Twitter came from science, like actual science. It just wasn't the, the, the Fauci party line. And so this is why he became this highly controversial figure that eventually got banned from Twitter. And he then repeat, repeats all of this scientific information in this book. And he reports it in easy to understand format. I mean, not everybody is a science writer, science reader. I mean, I am certainly not. So it needs to be something that's easier for me to break down and digest. And he does that. And he covers it from the falsehood of 15 days to flatten the curve to masking requirements to the cure all promises of vaccination. I mean, he covers it thoroughly, systematically. He goes over every little thing. And it's like, he, he I want to say it would, I mean, I'm not really on Twitter, but it would not surprise me if he just went through his Twitter timeline and used that as the outline of his book. The simple truth, as shown by, you know, reality, team reality, hashtag team reality, is that hospitals were never overwhelmed. They weren't even close in most places. Um, the, the first place to be hit hard was New York, uh, obviously, and there we have Mayor Bill de Blasio, Governor Andrew Cuomo, maintained that they needed all the ventilators, all of them, long after it was shown that ventilators actually worsened those who had contracted COVID. I mean, Berenson tears down news reports of how fast this was spreading. I mean, COVID was spreading fast enough on its own, but not nearly at the alarming rate the media was pushing. Um, he doesn't just tear it apart. He goes into great lengths to explain where and how the media got it wrong. I mean, they started by reporting information from the past and then extrapolating it out to present day and into the future which doesn't really work. But the actual numbers of hospitalizations, which hospitalizations, which were literally reported, oh, you know, I need to shake this. Hold on a second, I'm getting into the review. Let me shake this really quick. So the actual numbers of hospitalizations, which were literally reported daily by Cuomo, did not support the fear-based predictions of the media. And there were massive discrepancies between the two. The, the media was reporting in numbers from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, so IHME, um, and then they reported the actual numbers of hospitalizations, but never in the same story. And why might that be? Well, let's see, let's see. It's because the IHME would report that New York would have 61,000 hospitalizations with 11,500 in intensive care. In reality, there was 14,810 patients with only 3,731 3, in intensive care. So those are some major discrepancies there. And the misreporting that was being used by the government to drive the coronavirus response was the IHME numbers, not the actual numbers. They use the actual numbers to create panic. Oh my God, what if it's my loved one who's in that, you know, 3,000 in intensive care, not the actual numbers. And that's just one example of the sort of gross misreporting the media engaged in and the government used to take away our freedoms.
Uh, Berenson's blasts of the sort of laser reporting done ad nauseum by the New York Times, which would come as no surprise to anybody who's actually read the New York Times or, you know, this book, right? I read, I reviewed this one a few months ago. Remember that? Yeah, the New York Times has a long history of misreporting for political gain. Ponder that for a moment. Hmm, it's not bad. It's a little, a little fruity, a little tart. What is an Aperol? I feel like that's the, believe it or not, the major flavor here. I don't know. It's not bad. It's like fruit cocktail, kind of. The, the, but the paper he really blasts, and rightfully so, is the Atlantic. And the Atlantic is, it's, just, it's a garbage paper anyways. I'm sorry, personal opinion here, it's a garbage paper. Um, but the Atlantic reported on how America was failing its doctors. It was shocked by how people would value youth over the elderly, how red states were ushering in an excessive death by not following CDC guidelines. They hysterically predicted half a million plus deaths in areas that ignore government recommendations reported wild stories of long-haul COVID and how Republicans were the reason for rising COVID cases. And of course, how racist Trump is, because obviously racism is the true pandemic in America. Oh, and of course, how wrong Berenson himself was about everything. And despite the overwhelming evidence that he was not only spot on, but was the only reporter willing to stand against the narrative. I mean, God, no wonder he wrote this book. The, the timing was like pitch perfect. I can only hope he reprints the second and third editions with a, an additional chapter addressing the Atlantic article where they ask for amnesty for being such assholes and being just an awful drug-filled rag during the entire pandemic and for ceding all rational thought to the government. I mean, the Atlantic should change their name to 1984 and just, you know, have their tagline be Big Brother is watching, like seriously. Journalists have one job, it's to question everything the government says and they completely failed. Let's address some of those. You know, um, so America is failing her doctors. Basically, that piece came out quite early in the pandemic because we didn't have enough ventilators. And so we were putting the doctors at greater risk of contracting the virus. And within a month of this alarmist article, the Journal of American Medical Association published their findings on the use of ventilators, largely that they not only didn't work, but actually make the infection worse. Of the 1,151 patients who had been put on ventilators during the first COVID wave, only 38 had actually been discharged. 282 had died, I and mean, that's a 24% death rate of those who had been ventilated. That's horrifying. I mean, you, they grossly increased the risk of death among the, with those who they ventilated. And there's, I mean, the Atlantic never reported that new information and they never retracted its prior statements. I mean, the JAMA published their findings in April of 2020. And I remember reading articles well into June and July about the lack of ventilators and bitching at Trump about it. The long haul COVID, I, I remember rolling my eyes and thinking this is dramatic bullshit when I read it because I'm like, mm, no, your, your body either fights it off or it doesn't. And if you're, if it's unable to fight it off, you should be in the hospital. But he points out that long haul COVID is a lot of it's all in your head, people. And I know you don't want to hear that. If you're watching this, I'm probably going to get some hate comment somewhere from somebody who knows someone who has long haul COVID who may not have actually ever had COVID. That's, that's what he reports in the book, is that among the people who reported long-term symptoms and long-term effects from COVID, quite a few of them never actually had it. They never tested positive for COVID. Quite a few of them who reported 
having COVID in the first place, never tested positive. And I mean, we're talking the test where they stick the Q-tip swab up into your brain and swipe around, never tested positive. He talks about the ridiculous way that they tested positive using that particular thing too. It's, it's all, it's, it's interesting. It's all interesting in here. And, and again, it just makes me roll my eyes and despise the government even more, which is not a healthy place to be in. Vote people, vote early, vote often. It's still legal so far. The shock the Atlantic expressed on validating youth over the elderly is particularly disgusting. I mean, look, nobody wants to die, right? I mean, fear of death is an all too human emotion. I think it's actually probably the number one fear is, or actually I think it's actually number two. I think number one is, is speaking in public. <laughs> number two is death, which is rational, right? Nobody knows what's out there and death is a thing to be scared of. And maybe if the government would let us all eat a little psilocybin, that wouldn't be so bad anymore, right? Remember, I read that book a few weeks ago. Psilocybin helps with end-of-life fear. Yeah, anyways. Uh, but locking down the young who are never, like, literally never at serious risk from this. I mean, yes, there are outliers, and those are tragic instances. You don't lock down an entire population because of the tragic few. It's just, it's... It's, you cannot, literally, it is impossible to protect an entire population, ever. All right? And it's not just because of assholes like me who, who thought masks were stupid and basically stopped wearing them early on because they weren't working. Anybody with two brain cells rubbed together knew they weren't working. I could tangent on this all day. But the young were never at serious risk. And those who were over 90 were at a higher risk. And valuing those who are at the end of life anyways over those who are just beginning it is disgusting. The fact that the young are still being forced to mask in some places is disgusting. Any culture that places a higher value on the life of the extreme elderly over the future of the young is a society in an advanced state of decay. Children should be protected but never raised in fear. And we have raised an entire generation to be terrified and obedient. And if you don't think that's intentional, you are definitely living in a state of stream. Yeah, I like this one. The reports on how red states were ushering in excessive death by not following CDC guidelines, the hysterical prediction of a half a million plus deaths in the area that ignored government recommendations and how racist Trump is, pretty much go hand in hand and speak to how heavily political the entire pandemic was. Don't get me wrong. The virus is real. People were sick. People died. But ultimately, this was a this was a pandemic of politics, all right? This was a political thing from the word go, always has been. Everything was the fault of Trump. No matter what Trump, Trump did, it was wrong in the eyes of the corporate press. Again, not a Trump fan, all right? But no matter what he did, he was wrong. He was wrong, wrong, wrong. And everything the left did was right, right, right. And it was so blatantly partisan, I remain stunned by the number of people that I know personally who are genuinely incapable of seeing it. Smart people, I mean, people that I genuinely think are intelligent, they just cannot get over this orange man bad, bizarre mindset. Or maybe I'm just surrounded by a bunch of NPCs. I guess, I guess that's possible. My God. What if I'm the main player in a quest? I'm screwing it up. I should quit drinking. I have friends to this day who maintain the pandemic could have been avoided entirely if Hillary had been president. Not sure why the virus would have just stopped at America's borders, but it would have. 
The press's absolute refusal to report on the hypocrisy of the left. Nauseating. I mean, anybody else remember the whole... Yeah. Left hand. I'm backwards on camera. This I remember this story, right? How much did the press report on that? I'm pretty sure mostly it was reported on Twitter, probably by Berenson. So remember, my outrage, to remind you, comes from a general knowledge of history and how vilely governments tend to treat their people. Democide, number one cause of death, bar none. In keeping with what's in this book, the reporting on the red state policies causing death came out when deaths were actually declining, right? So it's not democide. And none of the reporting could explain why blue states had surging COVID rates. Berenson explains it. He actually does, believe it or not. Um, using actual science and actual reporting, he explains how death rates were going up in blue states but down in red states. And um, he, he does it using actual medical reports and by tracking the waves of COVID as they rolled around the globe. Man's a hell of a reporter. He has another book on why marijuana should not be legalized. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to buy it and I'm going to read it in 2024 because I'm not buying any more books this year except the president books. But I'm going to read it because it's important to get that other perspective. I've always been pro-legalization of marijuana. He has the, the con side and I feel like I need to know both sides of the story. And he might sway me. He's, he's a very good writer, so he very well could sway me on that one. Anyways, back to this book. He explains how it happened. So, of course, the attacks on Berenson himself were so wrong they were backwards. I mean, Berenson addresses why lockdowns failed, why masks were nothing more than virtue signaling political grandstanding, why politicians knew both of those things, and how and why vaccines failed and are failing. Yeah. He addresses the literal elephant in the room, comorbidities. Why is that a literal elephant? I got three words for you, body positivity movement. The biggest comorbidity and the reason why the US tended towards a higher death count than other countries, I mean, part of its population, right? We have a bigger population than a lot of other countries, but it's obesity. The US is fatter than any other developed nation on the planet and it has cost us. And instead of addressing this problem and encouraging a healthy lifestyle, encouraging people to lose weight, eat healthy, exercise more and move, and yes, drink less, we have people espousing the lie of health at every size. Obesity is not healthy. I, I, I am obese, all right, technically. I, I roll in at a way more than I should. I'm not gonna say it, but way more than I should at five foot four, and I'm working on that. I, I have my cocktail here, I have a beer on Wednesdays with my family because we have family game night on Wednesdays. Beyond that, I'm really not drinking. And I'm going to the gym. And I'm, I'm cutting sugar out, which is really hard. I'm a huge sugar, sugar addict. I mean, it's really hard, especially around Christmas time because I, I do Christmas baking. But I'm cutting sugar. So I am trying to fix this aspect of myself because I know it's not healthy. My knees know it's not healthy when I try and climb up and down my damn stairs and they start aching on me. There is nothing healthy about obesity. Health is not at every size, okay? You might have a single snapshot of health in your doctor's office. That does not mean you are healthy. Let the hate roll in. It just is what it is. And Rather than step on that political landmine, though, the reporters ceded all rational thought and let the government talking points run the day and ruin American lives and livelihood, like the responsible journalists they are. Responsible. This book was full of information, and even better, it's information that is backed by solid science. No, not the science. 
One senses the overall scorn for the science throughout the book. And rightly so. The contempt for the political pandering that went on is palpable. For most of us, the outrage was the violation of the Constitution and the restraints that it allegedly places on the government. Allegedly, because really, when was the last time the government was constrained on anything? I'm, I'm getting quite cynical here about the alleged restraints on the government. The uh, Constitution, as a document, is, is dead because the government killed it and we the people let them. For Berenson, the outrage was there, and that outrage was there. All right, even even the violations of the Constitution were there. But he was also professionally outraged. I mean, he is a professional journalist. He used to work for the New York Times. I wonder if he's read The Grey Lady Winged. I'll bet you he would have a fascinating conversation with that author. They should meet. They should talk. They should collaborate. He was the guy who was staring at what was happening, reporting on what was happening, and Every single one of his professional colleagues was staring at him like he was a lunatic, screaming that the sky was falling. Only he wasn't wrong. The sky was falling. And nobody else would listen to him. Except for us, you know. Except for the COVID-idiots. And vindication is his at last, right? I mean, it's evidenced by the Atlantic article that asked for amnesty for being such a piece of garbage rag over the last two years. And by his court-ordered reversal on his Twitter ban, I mean, he did a hell of a piece of reporting with this book. It, it, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, the biggest problem was that, near as I can see, is it's chock full of confirmation for bias for the one-third of America who was pretty sure it was all a government power grab and believe Berenson, and for confirmation bias for the one-third who were actually able to follow the science and knew it was being misreported by the press. But the one-third who needs to read this book would never even look at it. The ones who are still masking up while driving alone in their cars and lining up for their fifth and sixth booster shots, those are the ones who should be reading this book. They'll never even look at it. They are so convinced that Berenson is a grifter and a hack reporter who's just out to make a name for himself. It would never even occur to them that maybe, just maybe, they should learn to think for themselves. It goes back to that alarming statistic about how most people who graduate college never read a book after graduating college. Never even pick one up. But they're educated because they went to college. I think the pendulum's starting to swing back. It's starting to. And the Atlantic all but admitted it with their ridiculous amnesty request. I am going to hammer that home because that was the dumbest thing I have seen in a very long time. And I lived through the pandemic without catching COVID as far as I know. I had, I had a, that really bad cold back in August. But I didn't get tested because I didn't have to go to the hospital, so why bother? It is what it is. Anyways, if you find yourself for some reason stuck in an argument with a COVIDian, yeah, see, we might be COVIDiots because we didn't believe in masking or vaccinations, but they're cult members, they're COVIDians because they refuse to give up the company line. This is a good book. Um, it's good to have in your pocket. It's good to read through it and have those facts lined up and ready to go. I highly recommend it. And um, that's it for this week. Like I said, next week is Christmas. I have a small review that will be up that day, but not the president book. I'm going to give myself a small little Christmas break. So President Garfield will be next month. But I'll see you guys next Sunday on Christmas. Have a good week. Bye.